From NPR Music, this is Alt Latino. I'm Felix Contreras. And I'm Ana Maria Sayer. So every Tuesday in July, get very excited. Our primos at PBS will present the Latino Experience. This is a three-part showcase of short films about the Latinx experience made by Latinx filmmakers. The explorations of culture and identity also remind us of the power of indie films to accurately reflect our realities in ways that mainstream Hollywood, as we all know far too well, often misses. Since the recent release of In the Heights has reminded us of the power of filmmaking to reflect identity, we thought we'd use the occasion of the PBS series to look a little deeper into the world of Latino indie filmmaking. But before we introduce our guide this week, we want to remind you that according to PBS, the series The Latino Experience will stream simultaneously with broadcast and be available on all station-branded PBS platforms, including PBS.org and the PBS video app, available on iOS, Android, Roku, Apple TV, Amazon Fire TV, Android TV, Samsung Smart TV, and Chromecast. All of that is important to know because you want to be able to see these films. Now, let's meet our first guest this week. Hello, my name is Carla Legaspi, and I'm a filmmaker here based in L.A. Carla is one of the 13 filmmakers featured in the PBS series, dun, 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 The Latino Experience. And in her conversation with Felix, she tells us about her film. The name of my film is uh, The Daily War, and it is a story about a single mother veteran um just a day in her life of raising her her son and and just one of those days where she realizes she's low in funds and promised a a beach day for the child and so she's trying to scramble trying to figure out how to give him this day that she promised and not have enough money to go to the beach where did the idea come from well, the script came to me via the writer, Adelina Anthony, who's actually the lead in the film. She was inspired by just stories from family and friends. And she started layering all these different themes to this one character. And I think that she made it a really beautiful, complicated character. As I watched the film, it just reminded me that the opportunity to, to work on projects like these, the opportunity to be able to create in general and create these characters and for you to portray them, that's exactly the kind of representation that many critics of Hollywood say is missing. The experiences of people who look like us, interpreted by us and not by people outside the community. How do you feel about your role in in making that presentation like that? You know, for me, the poverty aspect of this film is something that I don't see. And even when you see poverty, it's romanticized in a way, violently like I don't know there's a there's a common there's a common ground there but for me like showcasing families that have to survive and and then they're complicated and they're interesting and they remind me of like I think about my great-grandmothers and maybe how they could have like resembled so much of this character and and how we're doing these generational like healing through the work and and that's also why it's important aside from folks feeling like yeah, that, that was my tia or that could have been my grandma's how she used to raise the kids, you know, single mother sometimes. Like at least that for me, a lot of the my ancestors, my abuelita were single mothers. 
So a lot of that reminds me of, of that. And I feel connected to that. So for, for those reasons, I'm like, yeah, we, we definitely need this. It's an honor to be able to portray that and put it out in the screen. Talk to us a little bit about your journey to become a film director. First of all, what inspired you to do this? And what has it been like along this journey? I am a big movie nerd. Uh, when I was in high school, I, I took acting classes and theater. Somewhere in me, I always wanted to be an actor, but I never thought that I could be an actor. In high school, I never really got any roles. I wasn't, it was always like a certain kind of folks would get those roles. And so I never thought I could even do it. So I never tried, but I liked it. And then in my 20s, I had a group of friends who were filmmakers and they wanted an actor for a movie. They auditioned me, they had me read a script and I was like, well, this is kind of cool. And the character was Chicana and she was dealing with a heartbreak and I was dealing with the heartbreak. <laughs> and I was like, I could feel this, you know, I could do this. And they gave me the role, which obviously is also like, talk about privilege and how lucky I was in the, being there at the right time, you know? And we ended up doing this movie called Pura Lengua. The director is Aurora Guerrero. And we, it went to Sundance. And I was like, oh, wow. People are watching my community. I was moved. I was moved. And I, I, I saw the power in, in film. I realized, I said, you know, maybe, maybe my stories matter too. I don't know. Like, let me try. So I started writing from there on. And it took me years to hit my first movie done and that was gold star like a few years back and then from there I, I did other projects like music videos and just to practice what it's like to work with people you know talent try to get them to get their stories across uh, or their characters across onto the films yeah that's how I started it started off as like oh I really want to be an actor but I can't do it and then my friends inviting me to be in a movie and that was like kind of great <laughs> and then the next thing you know you're at Sundance wow that was wild yeah I didn't even know what it was I confused it with the, the native Sundance the sacred dance that they do for like days I I, I kind of got to confused with that ceremony and then when I realized it was like I was like how are they going to show the film in a ceremony like <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I was like isn't that disrespectful I don't you know I didn't I don't know and then I realized it was, there's a thing called the film festival. And then from there on, I, I was really interested in learning. I volunteered at like screening movies for Sundance, learning that I actually do a little bit of curating, film program curating as well. So I got really into like just wanting to learn, wanting to explore, like how do I learn? And a lot of people who work in those festivals are all filmmakers. So they um, guide you as well. Um, so there's a lot of women who have helped me out and guided me. I mean, um, so it's, 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 it takes a community. It takes a village talking about indie filmmaking. It's not just one person. It's, it's like, you can't do it alone. Let's talk a little bit about the role of gender in, in film, in independent film, and your experiences. Does that add another hurdle in trying to make it into the film world? Yeah, it's hard working with men. Um, <laughs> it is, really is. <laughs> I'm a freelance, so I, I work in, in all kinds of different productions a few weeks out of the month. So I've worked like in commercials. I've worked on small stuff. I worked on huge stuff. I worked on celebrity stuff. I've worked on all kinds of things. And when I first started, I, I started working with Disney. I was 
just the girl, <laughs> like working with the boys though. And it was way different then than it is now. Now you don't hear a lot of the horrible things that men say to women. Back then, it was a little, and it wasn't that, that long ago. It was maybe 10 years ago. So it was not that long ago. Um, and so we have gone a long way. So that in itself is one thing, the harassment, the, the inappropriate joking, all that stuff is one layer of it. The other layer is the financial inequality. Like even when, as a freelancer, your male, you know, for the same position are getting paid more money. The production doesn't say anything, but I've like seen the numbers because I do coordinating and producing. And even when you're like hiring folks, like I, I weigh in what they offer the males, you know, for example, the male cinematographer. So yeah, it gets tricky and it gets shady. And those are some of the, the little low levels. For me, what I do is for my productions is because I'm constantly working on sets. I am meeting people all the time. I'm picking the people that I love with one on my personal project. And um, so when I get to do my projects, most of my positions of power on set are all led by women. And about 80% or 90% of my crew is uh, female. So that's, that's how I try to, to shift the narrative. You are listening to Alt Latino. I'm Ana Maria Sayer. And this week we're talking about Latinos and indie film. Like if, if you were, if we were to snap our fingers and, and, you know, give you a multi-million dollar budget, you know, <laughs> you know, like where is that medium? Where is a point where you would have enough money to be able to make a film in the way that you envision it? And I'm not talking about a specific number. I guess the question is, is there a spot, a sweet spot that would allow you to, you know what, I want to make the movie exactly the way I want it. I think so. I think, and I, I, I don't think that every film should cost the same. The reason why some of these Hollywood movies are so expensive, aside from a lot of the money going into very wasteful things, is because a lot of them have special effects. For everything that's outside of the ordinary shot, you need to hire folks, you know, stunt coordinators, like, you know, safety folks, fire department, like, and then all the amount of insurance fees just keep going up and up and up. So you know, that's why their budgets are. But yeah, there's definitely a nice little sweet spot where you can make a non-blockbuster um, movie, I would want to say, with the big bangs. That That is nice that you can pay your team a union rate. You know, whether they're, that's in the whole different filmmaking thing, the union, the non-union, like how hard it is for some of these folks of color to get into the unions. I mean, it's it's like... It's, it's, it's folks who work, it's like you have to know someone in order for you to be able to get the opportunities to even get the hours to get into these unions. Mm-hmm. It's a lot, it's a lot. But like ideally, yeah, that I, you know, for me, the sweet spot is being able to pay even my non-union crew members union rates. <laughs> Where does your inspiration, your drive come from? What is it that makes you keep going? Like, what? Are, why are you doing this? Why are you in this business? Why are you making films? Why are you trying to express and tell these stories? What motivates you? What drives you? I can't help it. <laughs> I have, since I was a little girl, I've had this, this thing inside of me to like write stories and, and, and tell a story 
of this little girl, these little girl that I was, all these things that as a child I thought and couldn't explore. That's where all of my, my, my push and push is like these parts of me, my abuelita stories, my stories, like my community stories, like I can't, I can't help it, but to do it, um, it I can't, even if I wanted to stop, like, I, I always say I'm going to quit. <laughs> and then I, like, I get another idea and like my other stories that are unfinished are pulling me to them. And it's, it's hard, but I also think that it's important. Um, there's not a lot of, even, even if there was 50 of us, Chicana, Mexicana, Latinx, uh, queer women from my neighborhood doing this kind of work, even if there was 50 of us, there would still be so much room for stories there, you know? But also there's not that many of us doing this right now. And I think that there is a lot of young folks who have the same like eagerness to want to tell a story. And if they don't see that it's possible, because I didn't know it was possible, then like, that's not fair to them either. We just heard from filmmaker Carla Legaspi, one of the filmmakers featured on the PBS series, The Latino Experience, which is airing this month and available for streaming on PBS platforms. So next up, we're gonna hear from two other Latinx screenwriters who come from the indie world, but have also been a part of shows you may know from some pretty popular streaming services. Let's go ahead and see what we're talking about. Hi, I'm H. Alberto. I'm a filmmaker, writer, director, whatever you want to call me. I make movies and tell stories. Hi, I'm Santa Sierra. I am a television writer. One of the things we want to talk about is representation and, and, and presentation and reflection of uh, the Latino communities. Like I said, we're centering this week's show around the PBS series that showcases Latino indie filmmakers, and I've seen them all, and they're all very, very... Uh, interesting and engaging. Some of them are short, just five minutes. Some of them longer, like 12, 15 minutes. Do you think that indie films are the best places to see authentic portrayals and screenwriting that reflect Latinx communities right now? Let's start with you, Santa. I would say, yeah. And I think it's because when you are not being guided by a studio, then you probably will be feel more free creatively and be able to say what you want to say because when you are writing for Hollywood the reality is there's a lot of chefs in the kitchen yeah for me it's um I think to echo what Santa said it it is like a more freeing uh space for the the creative and the writer sort of like have an unencumbered voice but it is still very limiting. And I don't think that like we've been given the opportunity to tell stories with like a proper budget and a proper crew, which I think is also a lack um, within the industry because you know they're afraid of green lighting our stories because we haven't had anything that's proven to transcend like so many other spaces have. So I think that there's still a lot of work to do Indie film is a more freeing space, but my goal is to like move past that and tell stories um, like white people tell stories as well. Do you think that if there was more enlightenment 
in that Hollywood system that do you think that there would be just as many accurate portrayals about our communities as there are in the indie films right now? Yeah, I think there's a lack of that of representation when it comes to Latinx creatives in those positions that you know could uh, champion a story from our experience and our lens. So that's there's definitely a void of that within the industry, and it's all like it's a fear-based business. And if there isn't like something that's proven itself before, they're gonna resist greenlighting that, right? So like there's a lot of pressure, but there's also like a moment, and we're in a a moment now culturally where there is space for us. And I think there is more of a chance to tell a story now, but this just where we're far behind in so many aspects of that. Well, you know, I think, you know, within the, the, the Latino community is, it feels sometimes, and this is conversations that I have with executives, like they're, they sometimes are confused by it, by the many cultures within and I think that um, that's why sometimes you see a lot of the media focuses on one type of Latino. Our own media, you know, the media that we have in, in our own countries also lacks inclusivity. And, and I think we are teaching that sometimes to Americans. And I think, you know, we need to also work, work on that at home. Um, so work us, where do they get that idea? That we all look one certain way, that we all sound a certain way. You know, they, they're getting it from our own media, the, what we're feeding them every time they go to our countries. I think that's true. I think we're also like execs and people in those positions want to distill us to, and boil us down to simply our identity. And for me as a storyteller, it's really important to move past that because we have full lives that our identity informs our perspective, but it's not everything that we're about. But people in power positions want to, you know, control the narrative of us being the gangbanger, the maid, the gardener, which we've seen redundant for so many years. Right. And thinking beyond that, when we're existing be be past what we've been presented as is scary for them and unknown. And it's having these conversations that I think pushes their perspective further and having people like me of a trans Latinx experience in a room is part of that. Whether we all look different, our experiences are different, our cultures, even being Latinx are different. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, it's a responsibility that I'm, I'm down to take, but it's also a lot of pressure. Along those lines, when you're talking about acceptance, you know, let's talk about In the Heights for a second. It received a lot of attention for a lot of reasons. That is the most recent example of big budget movie in the mainstream. Where would you place that film in the lineage of Latino films made by Hollywood? Well, I think it's our first big budget glossy film that has our faces and our experience in it. And I absolutely loved it. And... I knew, I know they didn't get it all right, but it's the first of its kind. And it was, we didn't see anybody getting arrested. It, there wasn't much poverty. Like it was really about the beauty of the community and the love of what that is. And that was very emotional for me because I had never seen that. And it was like a soft, compassionate lens that I think Hollywood has gotten wrong for, really, for a really long time. And that's um, 
That's part of my mission statement is how do we soften the lens around our experience? And I think that I, um, I'm proud that that movie exists. Well, for me, that movie is a little more complicated um, because I'm, you know, I'm from the East Coast. I, you know, I've been to, I mean, I'm Dominican. I, I know exactly what Washington Heights looks like and it doesn't look like the movie. So for me, there were a lot of complicated emotions because I did see the play and I enjoyed the play. I know um, Melissa Barrera. I think she's a lovely, lovely person. Um, so it was complicated for me to have these other feelings for it. And obviously you wanna support a film because they don't get made a lot. It's very difficult to get made, um, to get something like that made. So I think um, it does need, it, it's amazing that, that, it was, that it was done. On the other hand, I think it is also part of this narrative that that the Latino experience is just um, that we're just walking around the streets screaming, I'm Dominican, I'm Puerto Rican, and dancing all the time. And I just feel like it's just culture and we need to tell stories. Why well, don't wake up and say, I'm Dominican? Like, it's not the first thing that comes out of my mouth. I'm a human being first. And I think we have so much content that is basically sometimes just saying, oh, we're Latinos, we're Dominicans, we're Mexicans, we're this, we're that. And sometimes maybe in some of the cases, the stories are not there. No, I think it's a valid opinion. I also think that like, we have a responsibility to support it first, even if they get it wrong. And I think it's not that we need to be afraid of having the conversation and holding people responsible for where they got it wrong, but it being something that we've never seen, I was a bit disappointed of, at the response around it because it's just, um, it makes it harder for indie filmmakers and people who are struggling to tell a story because it feeds into Hollywood's narrative of our stories aren't valid. You mentioned Melissa Barrera, Santa. She was a, a cast member on the, the streaming series Vida, right. uh, which you were a writer on. Yeah. Let's change the direction a little bit. Are these streaming services upending the traditional split between the mainstream media and the indie world? Are there more opportunities in the streaming services? I I say it to everyone that you know listens. I don't think I would be in Hollywood if it wasn't for streaming. I don't think that I would, me looking like I look, you know. Afro-Latina. There's no way that I would be a writer if, it, if Netflix had not given me a chance. So I think that, for, I think, I don't know, but I believe that um, the inclusivity that we are seeing, some of it, because we still have a lot of work to do. Um, I think that streaming has helped a lot. I just heard somebody raving about Little America that is streaming on Apple TV, and you're you're one of the writers. Tell us about the series if people haven't haven't heard about it, because now I'm dying to see it. Even before I knew that you were involved in it, it sounds fascinating. Tell us a little bit more about it. Little America, I wrote on season two. Season one is streaming on Apple TV. We haven't shot season two yet because of COVID, but it's a it's about the immigrant experience in the U.S from people from different countries based on real individuals. 
And so it was a very hard task, but also very rewarding. And the show is, um, I think it's beautiful and worth a watch. Um, but it's about like distilling these people's like very broad experiences into a half hour um, feel good wish fulfillment um, story. So I'm excited. My episode is about a Cuban trans woman who came on the Mariel in the 1980s and what that was not only transitioning as a Cuban to being a Cuban immigrant here in the US, but also transition of self um, through the lens of that and paralleling what that is. I'm almost, I'm almost, I'm not kidding. I'm almost getting goosebumps because it's so exciting to hear you guys talk about this stuff. And it's exciting to have you guys in the positions that you're in. It's for someone who's spent a lot of time, I'm six, I'm going to be 63 years old and I'm been watching movies for a very, very, very long time. And it's to know that you two individuals are in the business doing, telling these stories is so gratifying it's so exciting because i've seen all this stuff you know go back to when i got out of college in the 70s in the 80s right hollywood no representation we're still having those same conversations even now hollywood's i mean oscar's so white you know so it's exciting to see you guys in there making these changes little by little there's a bunch of you just start putting putting these things in place it's it's really gratifying it's really exciting so just, I, I got that out of the way. I'm really excited to have you guys on the show. Thank you. I have chills with you talking, and it is. It's important for us to be in those rooms and also, like, hold these people accountable because you see, like, other older brown writers, like, in these rooms that have just been beat down by the industry where the fight is not in there. And, like, any room that I'm in, I make sure that I use my voice. I don't care if I'm a staff writer or whatever, if I'm at the bottom of the totem pole, I'm gonna fight for what is right and for what's important to me as a storyteller. Well, I got, I've gotten to the point, I didn't really start, honestly, I didn't really have a lot of confidence in the rooms at first. And sometimes like being the only person of color um, can make you push, push back because like sometimes you're there just for the person of color story. <laughs> And it's like, okay, everybody's looking at me because um, we're doing, we're talking about the, the brown person or the black person. Um, and I think now, you know, I've done, you know, fifth, five shows and now I feel more confident to, to step in. And, you know, we have some Latino characters in, in power, in power book three and and it was nice. And we also have, LGBT, you know, we have a lesbian character in power book three and it was important to to be there and and get it right and get you know the little things right about what it's like to 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 be a puerto rican in new york in the 90s you know what is it like to be a black gay person in the 90s in in the black community um and sometimes like if you're not there someone's gonna look it up on google and that probably is not gonna be very accurate <laughs> And also to your point, Felix, like it's, uh, I'm in the midst of starting to cast my feature film, which I'm shooting in September. Um, and there's such a void of Latino actors and actresses of a certain age. And I was having this conversation with Lynn actually, and he's like, a lot of them stopped working because they were boiled down to being these stereotypes of what we are. And they just like, 
that's exhausting when you're an actor and you want to tell stories and you have limited sto unlimited stories inside you that you're just like you get disillusioned with the industry. Let me wrap this up by asking you some questions on a personal level. What are the films that inspired you each to become screenwriters? Was there a moment where you're sitting in a theater or sitting in front of a television sometime and the light went off, your aha moment, this is what I want to do? It was actually when I was 10 years old and I was watching a movie that I should not have been watching. <laughs> it was Leaving Las Vegas. And I thought that the complexity of the relationship and both of those characters was just so intense. And it, it struck something inside me that I went home and like took out line paper and started writing a story. And it was the first story that I ever wrote. So I think that's what like unlocked the writing in me. Sometimes this is a hard question for me to answer because there's been more than one. For me, um, The X-Files was probably the biggest influence that I had. You know, Vince Gilligan was the first writer that I knew by name. And of course, Shonda Rhimes. I probably would not have moved to LA if I had not seen that she looked like me. I always tell people that I'm, you know, those are my biggest influence, Vince Gilligan and Shonda Rhimes mixed together somewhere, somehow. And there, and that's you. <laughs> One more question. What, what are the films in which you saw yourself on the screen for the first time? And I'll preface this with an example. In the 80s, 1980s, Edward almost had a film called The Ballad of Gregorio Cortez, which was based on a, a short story by this Mexican-American writer from New Mexico. He worked on it himself. It was an indie film. The character is on the lam. It's in Texas in the 1800s. He's on the run for a misunderstanding. They accused him of murder. So he's hiding out, and he's riding all over Texas trying to hide out. And he goes into this little restaurant, a cantina, where he sits down. He's trying to get some food, and he's trying to hide. And he sits down, and the Mexican waiter recognizes him, right? So it gives him the food and some tortillas. And then he cuts the tortillas with his hands. Like, he cuts them like you eat tortilla, right? Like Mexican-Americans do, right? It was the first time I'd ever seen anyone on the screen eat the way I do. Mm. It was the first time I was able to really identify, and I was in my 20s, right? It, it had such a profound impact, such a small, nuanced little act. Was there something for each one of you, you saw yourself on the screen for the first time? I think the only thing that comes close to having that moment was watching Paris is Burning, which mm. is a documentary. But as far as a character that's been written, no. And that's why I write and I'm excited to tell stories is because I'm going to write to see myself. I'm going to write to see the people I love and the people I admire um, because no one's really done that yet. Well, for me is. I'll say that uh, when I was a kid, you know, being in Puerto Rico, you know, I, I, I was born in the, the Dominican Republic and I lived in Puerto Rico. The first movie that I remember seeing in Puerto Rico that I remember thinking, well, that she looks like my mother. Hmm. It was made in America, Whoopi Goldberg. Because even though I lived in the Dominican Republic in Puerto Rico, television doesn't reflect me that much. So I always looked to Black American actors. Like they were my representation. So Whoopi Goldberg is probably the first American star that I really loved because she looks like my mother. Because I was very young when that movie came out. But I don't, I don't think that it influenced me to become a writer. But I do remember thinking like, 
oh, there's people like me out there, like outside of like little world that I've known. So yeah, that's why Whoopi Goldberg always, she, she has a place in my heart. This conversation has been so inspiring. I really want to thank you both for taking the time to talk to us about this. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, it was, it was fun. Uh, thank you so much for the chance to talk. Whew, that is a lot to take in and think about. I don't know about you guys, but I will be thinking through a lot of that over the next few weeks. Our thanks again so much to Aich Alberto, Santa Sierra, and of course Carla Legaspi as well for joining us this week. And thanks to our friends at PBS for their help with this week's show. Also thanks to NPR intern Rihanna Cruz for their help in general. The music you heard in this week's show is by David Shulman and the Quiet Life Motel. On behalf of Felix Contreras and myself, thank you so much for listening to Alt Latino from NPR Music. We love you guys. Stay safe, stay healthy. I hope you have a wonderful week. I'm Ana Maria Sayer. Thank you all for listening.